One day a guy asked his wife, why are you always worrying when it doesn't any, do any good to worry? And she said, au contraire, it does make a difference. 90% of the things I worry about never happen. You might have to think about that for a little bit. How many of you this morning would self-identify as worriers? Okay, a bunch of us this morning, worriers. Uh, this morning, I, I'm going to be talking about worry today. Um, and I found myself worrying this morning because I got here early. I had, I had messed some things up. And I got here early to make the notes that Doug is handing out this morning. And the copier jammed and smeared. And then I got worried that nobody would have notes because I think it's important that you remember what... And I just worried. I just kind of fell apart inside. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's just so easy to get to that worry place. And I forgot that God is in charge and God always has a plan and Doug came and got the notes and went to his business and made all the copies for us this morning. So, um, I'm telling you, there is goodness in the hands of our good, good Father. And when we worry and we get all twisted up, man, we just waste time and energy on worry. What would you think this morning if I told you that today's teaching can free you from worry? Now, I'm talking to myself, too, because I, I, I have not perfected this. I'm sharing something with you this morning that I am still working on. But what would you think if you could really be free from worry at least most of the time? Be good news, wouldn't it? Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, I tell you, Man, he made it sound so easy. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry as to what you're going to eat, nor for your body as to what you're going to wear. Anybody else have a fashion crisis this morning when you're getting dressed for church? Okay. Yep. Jesus said, don't worry. And I'm going to share with you this morning the key to not worrying, the key to really being trans transformed in this area of our lives is a plenty mindset, which is the theme of our current message series. We're in week two now of our message series that we've called Plenty. Last week I shared with you the topic of plenty of life, and our theme verse for this whole message series comes from Jesus himself. He said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came so that they would have life and have it, say this word with me, abundantly. If you were with us last week, you'll remember that I shared with you, there's lots of synonyms for the word abundant. Probably the best one uh, from a Greek dictionary would be the word excessive. When Jesus says he came so you would have life abundant, what he meant is that you would have excessive life, excessive goodness in your life, excessive provision in your life. Everything that life consists of, he wants you to have it excessively. We've landed on the word plenty, and, and today, like I mentioned, I'm going to talk with you about the plenty mindset. How do you move from this place of scarcity to thinking and believing that there is always plenty for you? It's a mindset. Now, I want, I want to say something kind of bold this morning, 
I don't always say this, but I really believe this today. This message has the potential to change your life. If you will master the plenty mindset, you really can be free from worry. And this is what's great about Jesus' teaching. He didn't just tell us not to worry and drop the ball right there. He gave us strategy. And so today I'm going to unpack with you what Jesus' strategy is to free us from worry. And it's the plenty mindset. You ready for this? Let's start by talking about the opposite of plenty, which is scarcity. Okay? Lots of us live with a scarcity mindset. If you're taking notes this morning, and since you have cards, thanks to Doug Birkenpass, thank you very much. Um, if you're taking notes, here's the definition of scarcity. The scarcity mindset is one in which there is not enough to go around. If you're living with a scarcity mindset, you believe that there's not enough to go around. Now, I, I want to suggest to you today that this really is the prevailing belief in our society today, that there isn't enough to go around, especially because it's heavily promoted by the media. Uh, Chris and I attended a, a, a leadership summit 19 years ago, and a guy by the name of Tim Sanders taught on this very topic, and he said 19 years ago that the media is promoting a scarcity mindset. And I think if it was true 19 years ago, it's even more true today. Would you agree with me? It's easy for us to believe that I'm not being paid enough, that I'm not being appreciated enough, that I'm not being loved enough. I'm not getting what rightfully belongs to me. And on top of it, the whole world is burning up. Scarcity. Scarcity. This is the mindset of scarcity. And lots of us live there. Let me share with you some symptoms of scarcity. You might be living in scarcity if you believe, if you really believe at the core of who you are, that there's just not enough. You might be living in scarcity if you are motivated by fear. You might be living in scarcity if it's all about me. Everything is about me. All the time it's all about me. And you might be living in scarcity if you can't imagine starting over. These are symptoms of scarcity. Now here's the impacts of living your life with a scarcity mindset. If you live in scarcity perpetually, you're going to begin a downward spiral because what you believe comes out in your actions and the choices you make. And if you believe there's not enough, you're going to start this downward spiral into selfishness and hoarding and hanging on and making sure that it's all about you all the time. It's a downward spiral. You will start to compete with people instead of building people. Any of you play Wordle? Okay. I have, a, I have a text thread. Bunch of friends. We play Wordle every day. Wordle and Quartle. And we post our results every single day. And a couple of months ago, 
I found myself getting all twisted up in knots because I kept losing Wordle. And, and I was sitting there all angry at my phone one morning, and I thought, this is stupid. These are my best, my best friends and my wife. <laughs> and I'm competing like it matters. Really? It's a symptom of scarcity when you become a competitor instead of a builder. Here's another impact. You try to control people instead of influencing people. Do you know the difference? Good leaders influence people. Leaders who live in scarcity control people. And I'll say this, if you live with a scarcity mindset, your life will be consumed by worry. So can I just ask you to take a, a quick inventory? I've shared with you what scarcity looks like. Can you ask yourself, am I living in scarcity or am I living in abundance? Am I living in scarcity or am I living in plenty? What's my mindset? And once you identify, once you, I, once you answer that question for yourself, the next question is, can I change my mindset? Can I really change the way I think? Well, here's the good news. Jesus says you can change your mindset, and he gives us a strategy. And I'm going to just reduce his strategy down to two words because it's really memorable. Okay? Here's his strategy. His strategy is ponder and practice. Ponder and practice. And we're going to unpack this from the Gospel of Luke today. Ponder plenty. Think about plenty. Consider plenty meditate on plenty, and then put it into practice. Do some things that will lead you to the habits of plentiful living. Ponder and practice. I just want us to stop and pray before we keep going here this morning. Would you, would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I, I am so thankful that you taught us how to live differently than the world. And I think it's significant, Lord, that the people that Jesus worked with 2,000 years ago had some of the same problems that we do. And, and your words, your teaching, your strategies are just as relevant for us as they were for them. And so today, Lord, for those of us that are struggling with this mindset of scarcity, Jesus, will you... Enable us, miraculously, to change the way we think by listening to you, listening to the Spirit, and then making the choice to live differently. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to start in Luke chapter 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12. I already started this, we'll... Pick this up again and then read a little bit more. Jesus said to his disciples, For this reason I tell you, do not worry about your life as to what you are to eat, nor for your body as to what you are to wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And then he says this, Consider the ravens. And that word consider really could be translated ponder. I'm, I'm using the word ponder because it 
goes with plenty, ponder plenty. Jesus said, consider, consider the ravens. And here's what, what I want you to consider. They don't sow, they don't reap, they have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Great question, right? Jesus encourages us to, to just stop and ponder the plenty that the ravens live in. Now, if you remember the 60s when everybody decided to just quit working, I mean, some of us were alive in that time. I know a lot of you weren't. Maybe you've seen the movie Jesus Revolution. You probably got a window into that world. Uh, a bunch of people just decided to drop out and get high and just live on the land, okay? And, and, and if you read this in that context, it might sound like Jesus' teachings are a little bit hippy-trippy-dippy, right? Just drop everything, go live in a commune, Okay? It can sound a little unrealistic when Jesus says, don't worry about stuff. But there really is strategy here that can free us from worry. And, and his first strategy is to ponder the ravens. Now, when I first really got looking at this, I, I started thinking, why ravens? Okay, Why would Jesus tell us to look at those ugly black scavengers of death? Okay, Anybody else think that way about ravens? In our culture, really, ravens have a pretty negative connotation. I mean, if you remember high school literature class where you're reading Edgar Allan Poe, right? Or, or if you've watched the old Hitchcock movies, I mean, ravens, we think of ravens as being associated with death and destruction and yuck. If you leave your garbage open when you put it out on the street on garbage collecting day and you don't cover it well, who's the first people in the garbage can? The ravens, right? Okay. The magpies first. Uh, you might be right. <laughs> Jesus didn't say to ponder the magpies. He said the ravens. <laughs> Listen, when you read about ravens in the Bible, you find that these are awesome creatures that God created. There's, there, there's some really interesting things in the Bible about ravens. We'll get there in a second. But let me just talk to you just briefly about what ravens are like. If you really look at a raven carefully, you'll see that they're different than crows. They're bigger. They have a larger bill. And their feathers are gorgeous. Have you ever noticed this about ravens? Crows just have jet black feathers. Ravens have this iridescent feather that actually in the Song of Solomon, the writer of Song of Solomon uh, likened his lover's hair to the feathers of a raven, this iridescent, glistening beauty, okay? Uh, did you know that ravens are monogamous birds? They mate for life. Uh, ravens are incredibly smart. They store food. Um, even though Jesus said they don't have storerooms, they don't build barns, but they can store food and they can remember where they store it. Not like my dog that will hide a chewy and then forget about where it is until he finds it a week later and he's so surprised. <laughs> Ravens communicate with each other and they can even learn to mimic human language. You can't really communicate with a raven using, you know, human words, but they can mimic human language. They're incredibly smart. 
And uh, I, I, I was so curious to find out that Kelly's dad, when he was young, had a pet raven. This is really interesting. So I asked Kelly if she would just come and share some of the things that her dad has passed on to her about ravens, because they're really kind of incredible birds. Sorry, that chair is in your way. Yeah, my dad was a farm boy, so he um, had, I think, every creature anybody, any kid ever dreamed of having. And um, he wouldn't let me have any. I don't know why. But one of my favorites was the raven, and his name was Charlie. And when my dad was 14 years old, my mom's brother, <laughs> we're not that related. It's just, the, anyway, whatever. And um, he found this raven's nest uh, that had been raided by some kids. And uh, there were only a couple of ravens left, and one of them died, or they all died except for this one, and he took it to my dad. He knew my dad had a fondness for nature, and, you know, he, he, just, he just loved uh, animals. And so he gave him this little, this, this little nestling raven, and he reared that raven when, he, when it was little. He called him Charlie, and... Um, of all of the animals that he ever had, Charlie was his favorite. He was very intelligent. Um, when he got old enough, he would let him out and he would roost in a tree. And it was the same tree. Um, and, and so my dad, you know, he was out running the farm. And so he'd be, yes, even at 14. And he would be out on the tractor and Charlie would come from who knows where and land on his shoulder and ride with him. And he talked about how many conversations he had with Charlie. And uh, Charlie was a thief. Um, <laughs> don't be like Charlie. Uh, he stole <laughs> things, uh, but he loved anything pretty, anything shiny. And one of those things was my dad's class ring. And they didn't find it for a very long time because he hid it down in the corner of the divan. That's couch for you young people. Uh, and he shoved everything down there, and they found this treasure trove somehow long after he had died. And uh, he was just an amazing, amazing animal. And it, just the beauty of his intelligence was amazing. Uh, unfortunately, Charlie, um, Charlie didn't live to his full ripe old age. I don't know. They live a long time. 30 years, I think I read. <clears throat> yeah. Because Charlie developed, a, developed a, a liking for chicken eggs, and my grandma Blanche was not keen on that. And so my grandpa thought it would be a great idea to, to stop that by injecting it with some stuff that was supposed to make it bitter. Well, he put too much in there, and it ended up killing Charlie. Uh, but of all, like I said, of all of the animals that my dad had, Charlie was the wonder. Um, he was amazing, and of course, as a little kid, I just thought that was the most incredible thing ever. And I, I know that uh, he said he talked to him all the time, and he was a little too young to speak words back to my dad, but he would chatter. He would chitter-chatter to him because um, they were bonded. And so, yeah, just really, really amazing. So I, I, from the time I was itty-bitty, I saw a raven, and I just could see the way my dad saw them. Just really beautiful creation. So, yeah. Yeah, will you just stay okay, here okay. for just a second? So Jesus said, ponder the ravens, mm -hmm. right? And what Jesus was saying specifically is watch the ravens, think about the ravens, and develop this awareness that the ravens always have 
enough to eat. Mm -hmm. Because God provides everything they need. There's a really cool raven story in the book of 1 Kings mm -hmm. in which the prophet Elijah is fleeing from some enemies and he has to go out into the wilderness and he's talking to God and God plants him by a brook and he tells him, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink because I'm going to send ravens to bring you food and drink. And the ravens did. Now, when you ponder that story, what do you learn? I think in my mind, I, I, I just realize God is going to provide my needs from the most unlikely of sources. I'm sorry to keep going back to this, but this was a beautiful illustration for me. I didn't expect Doug to show up today and go and make copies. <laughs> but God knew that we, as the people of God, had a need. And so he sent an unlikely person to come and take care of our need. So when, when you start thinking about those kinds of things, that God, man, he can't. And, and do you know that we're more valuable than ravens? That can change the way you think. Mm. Now, the reason why I wanted you to stay here is because we've been talking about ravens for mm. six weeks. Mm -hmm. When you ponder ravens, Kelly, what do you, what do you think about? What does it... What do ravens speak to you about? Well, to me, um, God has spoken to me over the years to our family prophetically using ravens because um, ravens are significant as ministers of God, which tells you that they don't just have enough, they have more than enough. Because, um, you know, when they were sent to minister to Elijah, they didn't come with lack, they came with more than enough. So there's just something about that that holds a promise, you know. Um, so for me, ravens really signify the unexpected ministry goodness of God, where he comes in when we least expect it, and he gives us uh, the bare minimum. Of course, there's more, more to him than that, but, but he has enough to meet the basic needs, and and then some. It's just, do you know what I'm saying? I do. Like it's to me, it's just incredible because um, to use an animal like a raven, who uh, you know has the capability to copy what people say, but they don't have to say a thing. They just do his bidding. I mean, it just speaks of the goodness of God, this overwhelming goodness of God. And yeah, so for me, they are harbingers of provision. They really are. Yeah. Ponder the ravens. Thanks, Kel. All right, let's keep reading in Luke chapter 22. Jesus isn't done with the ravens. He keeps, he keeps telling us to ponder. He goes on to say, Which of you, by worrying, can add a day to his life span? Therefore, if you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about the other things. Now he tells us to ponder again. Consider the lilies. Isn't it interesting that we have a bunch of lilies here on our stage this morning? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't labor. They don't spin. That's talking about spinning thread to make clothing with. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Now if God so 
clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace. In fact, today, if you want to take one of these Easter lilies, please do, because they're going to be thrown into the dumpster um, after today. Uh, if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Okay, so he tells us to ponder the ravens, and then he tells us, ponder the lilies. And, and I think there's a lot that we can learn about just even pondering the beauty of a flower that grows uh, in the wild or in the natural. And really, there's so much more when you look at everything God has created. There's so much more to ponder and, and to develop an awareness that can change the way we think about the goodness and the provision of God. If you were to go to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and, and read the account of creation, and I'm not going to take the time to read those two chapters today, but maybe you'll want to take some time to ponder the creation. What you see is that in Genesis 1, the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, it says the earth was without form and void. The Hebrew word is tohu wabohu. It means chaos. At the very beginning of the creation story, there's nothing in existence except chaos. And then God steps in, and what does he do? He creates order, and he creates abundance. Out of chaos, God creates order and plenty. And, and there's something we can think about with our lives. Is there chaos in your life? What is it? I mean, when I just say that word, something probably popped into your mind. Where's the chaos in your life? When God steps in as a generous father, what he does is he, he creates order out of the chaos and he gives you everything you need. He did that for the first humans. There was more than enough. There was excessive abundance. There was plenty. Now, we're, we're going to talk in a couple of weeks about uh, why there's natural disasters in the earth and why some people seem to have more than, than other people have, and we're going to address some of those hard issues. But, but for today, I just want you to think about the goodness of God and his creative power to create plenty for you. The psalmist, David, uh, he pondered a lot of things. And one of the things that he pondered was God's creation and the abundance that God created for all of his creatures. And I want to read part of Psalm 104 for you. And, and what I would encourage you to do, you're welcome to turn to it in your Bible if you want to, but what I want to encourage you to do is just close your eyes and listen and ponder with David the plentiful provision of God. Would you just listen to this? Everything I am will praise and bless the Lord. Oh Lord, my God, your greatness takes my breath away, overwhelming me by your majesty, beauty, and splendor. You wrap yourself with a shimmering, glistening light. You wear sunshine like a garment of glory. You stretch out the starry skies like a tapestry. 
You, our creator, formed the earth and you hold it all together so it will never fall apart. You poured the ocean depths over the planet, submerging mountains beneath. Yet at the sound of your thunder shout, the waters all fled away, filling the deep with seas. The mountains rose and the valleys sank to the levels you decreed for them. Then you set a boundary line for the seas and commanded them not to trespass. Your compassion brings the earth's harvest, feeding the hungry. You cause the grass to grow for livestock along with the fruit, grains, and vegetables to feed mankind. You provide sweet wine to gladden hearts. You give us daily bread to sustain life, giving us glowing health for our bodies. You made the moon to mark the months and the sun to measure the days. You turn off the light and it becomes night. And all the beasts of the forest come out to prowl. The mighty lions roar for their dinner, but it's you, God, who feeds them all. At sunrise, they slink back to their dens and crouch down in the shadows. And then man goes out to labor and toil, working from dawn to dusk. Oh, Lord, what an amazing variety of all you have created. Wild and wonderful is this world you have made while wisdom was there at your side. The world is full of so many creatures, yet each belongs to you. And then there is the sea, so vast, so wide and deep, swarming with countless forms of sea life, both small and great. Trading ships glide through the high seas, and look, there are the massive whales bounding upon the waves. All the cre creatures wait expectantly for you to give them their food as you determine. You come near, and they all gather around, feasting from your open hands. And each is satisfied from your abundant supply. Isn't that beautiful? What is David saying? David is saying that the creation of God and the purpose of God is for every creature he made to have plenty. And remember what Jesus said? He said, you're more valuable than the ravens. You're more valuable than the lilies. And if God will provide for all these animals, how much more will he provide for you? Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about one of the reasons we have so much poverty in our world. Now, one of the reasons that we'll talk about is because with all of this abundance that we find in our world, People have the tendency to hoard and oppress other people because they have a scarcity mindset and they don't believe there's enough. We can change the way we think by pondering the ravens and pondering God's creation. Now, what does it mean to ponder? Somebody sneezed and it made my nose run. <coughs> Isn't that funny how that works? What does it mean to ponder? It's just a really simple thing. It means you slow down and you think about stuff. Another good word is meditate. 
How many of you practice meditation on a regular basis? Some of us probably were, were uh, taught that meditation is an Eastern philosophy that Christians shouldn't do. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible talks a lot about meditation because meditation is one of the ways that we transform our minds. And, and let me just throw this out for, for your benefit. The difference between Eastern meditation and biblical meditation is Eastern religions seek to empty the mind. They want to bring the mind to nothingness. Christian meditation means filling the mind with God's truth. And when you fill your mind with God's truth, you transform the way you think. You go from having a scarcity mindset to having a plenty mindset. So can I just give you two minutes to ponder something that you've heard today or something that can lead you to an abundant mindset. Just, we're just going to practice together, okay? I'll give you two minutes. Here's a couple of suggestions. Um, well, there's no green grass out there, unfortunately. But there's a beautiful pond. Maybe you can see the pond. If you're lucky, maybe you'll see some of the Canadian geese that take off from that pond. You could ponder something you see. There's mountains out here that God created. You could ponder the abundant snowfall that is in our mountains that's going to protect us from fires this year. You could ponder the lilies on the, two minutes. Would you just take a couple of minutes in the silence and, and let me just put this out there too. You can even ponder what you hear in the room. I'm not going to play any music because one of the things you can ponder is the beauty of sound. Two minutes. Ponder. Okay, anybody get anything? Did God give you something kind of deep and profound as you were pondering? I'll start. I was listening to the sounds of Emma patting her baby girl and then her little squeaks because she's hungry. It reminded me that God brings blessings to family. Children are a blessing from the Lord. How good is God? Somebody else get something, just, just shout it out to me. Just, just a sentence that you... That, that you got while you were pondering. Say it again, Tosh. 
Leaders influence people. You were pondering that. Okay. A couple other people. What did you hear while we were pondering? What did you get from God? Beauty of the place. And what did that tell you about God, Julie? He's created it for us. Great. Anybody else? Just a sentence. Matthew 6.33 that says... Good. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and plenty will be added to you. There's a plenty mindset. Good. Here's what we read in Romans 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. When you ponder the plenty that God has for you, what happens is you connect yourself to the source. And if you're not connected to the source, there will never be enough for you. But when you're connected, you're going to get to this place where, where you develop an awareness that there's plenty, there's plenty, there's plenty, there's more than enough. So if you're a worrier, listen. If you have a mindset of scarcity, your whole life will be transformed if you let God change the way you think. Okay, let's move to practice. Practice. Whoever is sneezing, you're really making my nose run. <clears throat> and then it gets in my mustache and I have to... Okay. Practice. If you know much at all about Jesus, you will know that Jesus practiced plenty all the time. As I was researching this week, I found out something that I didn't, I didn't ever realize before. Did you know that the account of Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fishes, did you know that's the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels other than the resurrection? And what is that miracle about? It's this contrast between the disciples who were living in scarcity. Do you remember what they said? They said, Jesus, send the crowds away because there isn't enough food and they're all getting grumpy. Okay, that's the Russ Michaels translation. <clears throat> and Jesus said, no, there's plenty. You feed them. Bring me what you have and we'll feed them. Jesus was always living with a mindset of plenty. And if you don't know that story, you can look it up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's a great story. But here's what Jesus taught about plenty in Luke chapter 6. Look at this up on the screen. Jesus said, give generously, and generous gifts will be given back to you, shaken down to make room for more. Abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure that it will run out over the top. The measurement of your generosity becomes the measurement of your return. Now, I want to ask you a question. What do you think Jesus was talking about here? 
nobody wants to answer. How many of you think Jesus is talking about money? One person thinks Jesus was talking about money. Two people. Does it sound like money? It's a trick question. What Jesus is talking about in this chapter is, ready for this? Forgiveness. Jesus says, if you will give forgiveness generously, generous forgiveness will be given back to you. How many of us struggle with that? How many of us struggle to believe that there is plenty of forgiveness to give away? But if you have said yes to Jesus and he has forgiven you of your sins, and then you've messed up and you've had to come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need forgiveness again today. And if that's happened to you more than a gajillion times, you know that you have an abundance of forgiveness in the presence of Jesus, right? And so why can't we be free to give, gener- give, give forgiveness away? Why can't I say to my spouse when she hurts my feelings, and I know she doesn't mean to, why can't I just say, sweetheart, I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm not going to get mad and stomp my feet. I'm going to forgive generously because why? When I give forgiveness away, I open the door for plenty of forgiveness to come back to me. Paul talked about another way that we can give generously in 2 Corinthians Uh, He said this, God always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. We can bring them this same comfort that God has poured out on us. You see, Paul lived with a mindset of plenty in which he believed that everything God gave him, he could give back to somebody else because there's always more than enough. I might be suffering. I might be struggling in my job. Man, my boss is so mean to me, he just squeezes me. But I've got a friend that is struggling with her health. And can I get my eyes off my own struggle enough to just go and comfort this person that's struggling with health issues? Yes, Why? Because God has comforted me in my struggle and there's more than enough for me to pass on to them. Listen, there's an endless, endless list of things that we can have a plenty mindset to just give it away, give it away, give it away, give it away. Forgiveness, comfort, what else? What about love? What about love? Kelly, can I call on you again? I didn't warn you about this. You shared this in our teaching team meeting today about about some conversations you've had with people who are struggling, feeling like like they're giving part of themselves away, and I can't say it like you did. So can you share it with all of us? Yeah. um, You know, uh, one of the questions that we had in our small group, which is, I love my Zillennials. I love you guys. It gives me such an insight into what generations younger than mine are thinking. And uh, and it's so relevant. Um, One of the questions, we've been studying Romans, and one of the questions was, yeah, but what is love? 
and the concern behind it, my interpretation, was, was that I don't want to be a sucker. And it, it's not just about being a sucker. It's about having to sacrifice identity to love. So the question was when, when Paul is talking about in chapter 12 how you need to not be a hypocrite, you need to love really well. The concern is, yeah, but does that mean that I just roll over all the time? And the connotation is, do I have to give up who I am in order to love? And we talked about, so how could you define love in a way that makes sense? And this is just Kelly's definition, which is, I said, well, I think, I think love is a choice. It's always a choice. But real love, like Jesus, God, Holy Spirit love, will never forfeit identity in order to build someone else up. Because if God is love, then that means, like, he's creator. He's the I am. He is the I know who you are. And so there's nothing in him that would say you have to sacrifice your identity in order to love somebody else. Rather, this is a type of love that calls people back to who God says they are. So in a nutshell, love is the choice to say, I'm going to see you the way that God sees you, and I'm going to treat you the way that God would treat you because he knows who you are. Does that make sense? Oh, see, I couldn't say that. Well, thank it's you. a miracle. It's God. No, that th thank you. See, again, there's plenty to share with somebody, right? And we get worried that I'm not going to have enough. So I'm going to withhold from somebody else, and I'm going to hoard. And when we hoard, we're living in scarcity, and we're damaging everybody else by hanging on to everything that God has generously given to us. Now let me just touch on money for a second. I've told the story many times because it, 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 it was so impactful in my life, but maybe somebody here hasn't heard it before. I was in school... Uh, I don't know, 20 years ago, and I had taken an online course and got behind. And I was failing this course. And I had paid $1,200 for this three-credit seminary course. And I realized that I was either going to take an F and ruin my GPA, or I was going to lose $1,200 because it was too late to withdraw from the course. And Chris walked into my office one day, and I was just dying trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. And Chris touched me on the shoulder and she said, sweetheart, it's okay to withdraw from the class. It's only money. We'll make more. And that statement set me free from worry. And you know what? I had paid for that class on a credit card. And it took us a long time to pay off that credit card. But we did. And you know what? We've done just fine without that $1,200. Why? Because we live with plenty. God has blessed us way beyond what we deserve. And he's blessed us so that we can give and give and give and bless other people out of the abundance that God has given to us. But it comes from a mindset of understanding there's always more. There's always, even in the struggle. Okay, this is how I want to end. Listen. 
this, this is not prosperity gospel. Do you remember the prosperity gospel from the 80s and 90s, which was name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, right? And whatever you say is what you're going to get, okay? That's not what I'm talking about, okay? That philosophy was, I'm not going to say anything negative. I'm not going to acknowledge that I have a disease because that's a lack of faith and it means I'm going to suffer. Okay, it's not, it's not biblical, A, and B, it didn't work in the 80s or any other time, Okay. This is different. This is a mindset of understanding that even when I'm suffering, I can still be generous because when I give, I'm making room for God to give more. Giving, and I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about anything. Giving is an act of faith that makes room for God to bless me with plenty. I'll give you a very practical example. We have a young couple here at Connect who has been struggling with infertility. It's been a very difficult process. They want kids really, really badly. And, uh, and, and it would be easy for this couple to get to this mindset of scarcity and, and to get angry at God. And because Chris and I struggled with, with infertility, I know what these emotions are like because sometimes we would get angry at other people that have children because God hadn't given us children. Okay, That's a scarcity mindset. This couple at Connect, even though they're struggling with infertility, one of their dear friends had a baby recently, and this young lady who hasn't been able to have children threw the baby shower for her friend. Do you know what that is? That's giving generously so she makes room for the plenty abundance of God to be poured into her life. Can I take you back to this verse one more time and then we'll close? Give generously, and generous gifts will be given back to you. Do, do you understand that there is giving out of abundance, and then sometimes there's giving out of lack as an act of faith saying, I know God has more for me, so I'm going to give so that I make room for him to give me more. Give generously, and generous gifts will be given back to you. Shaken down. This is like, it, it's a picture of a farmer who's got a rice basket, and he's shaking the basket to get all the air out so there's room for more. God is saying to us, if you'll just give, and you'll shake that basket, he, there's room for him to put more in your basket. Why? So, he, so you can give more. Oh, I thought that was up on the screen. As I put that up on the screen. <clears throat> Please. There we go. Abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure that it will run over the top. The measurement of your generosity becomes the measurement of your return. You get it? This is the plenty mindset. And if you'll start pondering and you'll put these things into practice, this will change your life. You don't have to live in scarcity anymore and you don't have to be consumed with worry. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, stand to your feet. We're going to pray. <clears throat> Musicians, you can come if you would. Okay, bow your heads and close your eyes, would you please?
I want to ask you a question this morning. I want to ask you a question this morning. If you're here, and I, I just want to ask that nobody look around for just a moment because I want to give everybody uh, just a moment of privacy between you and God. You're here this morning and you haven't yet said yes to Jesus. You haven't yet said yes to Jesus. You might be out of a scarcity mindset because you don't really believe that God has your best interest at heart. Can I just say this to you? Jesus wants you to have plenty and overflowing life of goodness. You might not understand it all yet, but if you're not yet walking with Jesus, I would love to pray with you. I'm not gonna make you come up here or do anything weird. I just wanna pray with you right where you are. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, maybe for the first time or you're coming back to him, would you raise your hand right where you are? And we'll pray that way first if you need to say yes to Jesus today. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. One person. Who else? All right. Would you do this with me? Everybody in the room, would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, I believe you today. I believe you have goodness for me. And I'm ready to put my trust in you. Come into my life. Wash away my sin. Change me from the inside out. And empower me by your spirit to walk with you from now on. In Jesus' name. Okay, now I'm going to pray one more thing. And this is for anybody here who is aware that you're living with a scarcity mindset or you all too easy step into worry. I've been practicing this for 20 years, 19 years since I heard that teaching 19 years ago. But today, I still let myself get carried away with worry. So Jesus, I'm raising my hand. We're going to pray for anybody who's living in scarcity or needs to overcome worry. Raise your hand right now all over this room. We're going to pray that Jesus will change our minds. Okay, come on. Everybody with your hands raised, pray this out loud with me. Jesus, I know what you say is true. And I know there's plenty for me. I know there's plenty for my neighbor. I know there's plenty for my boss. I know there's plenty for people who are mean to me. And I've been worrying. And I've been hoarding. And I've been unwilling to trust you. But today, Jesus, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm saying yes to living in your abundance. Help me to ponder. Help me to practice. And Jesus, I'm going to follow you all the way.